Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. We are in our second week of our Walk This Way series today, which is a continuation of our verse-by-verse walk through the book of Ephesians as a church. Pastor Scott gave us a summation of the entire Ephesians series, 21 messages up to this point, really in one slide. That one slide was so powerful as I was talking to people last week after the gather time. It so impacted people. I wanted to share it one more time uh, with us today, remembering who we are is who we are in Christ. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are loved. We are accepted favored, redeemed, forgiven, heirs, sealed, gifted. For those of you who have a relationship with Jesus today, this identifies you. These amazing realities make up who you are as God looks at you if you have a relationship with Jesus. So this week we are going to be looking at Ephesians 4, 25 to 27. In these verses, remember Paul was writing to a church that meets in the city of Ephesus. And so he is beginning to give now, starting with verse 25, some practical examples uh, for the Jesus followers in that church to live. And and these practical examples are going to help us know how we as Jesus followers are to live today. Today we're going to look at two of the several examples. We're going to start with the first two, and then the coming weeks we're going to hit some other ones. We're going to look at two today, beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. The Bible says this, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. All right, so we're going to stop right here, leave the verse on the screen, because here's what we know about hope. Before we go any further, there is an important word at the beginning of these verses. What is that word? Therefore, here at Hope Church, we've learned the word therefore means that we need to ask ourselves a question. What's the question? What's it there for, right? So we see the word therefore in the Bible. You have to ask the question, what's it there for? And real quick, it's there for referring back to what Pastor Scott talked about last week in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, right? So he showed us what people look like before they begin a relationship with Jesus. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, this is a picture of what the Bible says you look like. And if you do have a relationship with Jesus today, this is what you were like, but you are like no longer. It says, we, said, we saw that our minds are futile before Christ. Our hearts were hard before Christ. Our flesh had total control. This is how all of us are before a relationship with Jesus. But for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, something happened. 
there was a time in our life when a realization happened in our life. We began to see that although we were born that way and although we were living that way, that that wasn't the ultimate way that we were created to live. And so God introduced someone into our life. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a coworker, a friend, a schoolmate. God introduced somebody in our life to begin to tell us that God loves us and is pursuing a relationship with us. They let us know God desired that relationship. They let us know that he desired it so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for the sins of every person on this planet. A penalty of sin that we should have paid. But Jesus paid that penalty for our sin. They let us know that God wants to be in a relationship with everyone, including me, including you. And if we will admit that we are broken and sinful, if we will believe that Jesus came and paid that penalty for our sin and died a death on the cross and rose again three days later, alive today, forever defeating sin and death, And if we will confess Jesus as the new boss of our life, no longer being the boss ourselves, but saying, I don't want, me being my own boss is not working. Jesus, you be the boss and Lord of my life. Then we believe and know through, through the Bible that that begins a relationship with Jesus. And so that allows us to do what the second half of last week's verses that Pastor Scott covered told us about. The first thing, we are to lay aside our old self. Second thing, we are renewed. Third thing, we put on the new self. This is a daily surrender. In other words, daily laying aside the old self. Daily being renewed by God. Daily putting on the new self. And as Jesus followers, we are to daily lay aside who we were to walk in who God says we are. Why? Because that's not who we were. That's not who we are anymore. We were that, but that's not who we are anymore. He wants us to walk in that. So, everybody good? That covers, covers the therefore. We good? All right. So, therefore, let's look at verse, uh, Ephesians 4, 25 again. Therefore, just cover that. Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. First thing, first example that we can do as we strive to live daily in our relationship with Jesus is we lay aside lying to walk in the truth. This is that walk this way, right? To walk in the truth. Paul encourages us as Jesus followers to lay aside lying. Now, this one is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, I don't have to like totally just break down a Greek word for the word lying. We get it. We get it. In fact, some of us are really good at it. Uh, We started lying at a really young age. Most of us right after we could talk. I mean, I I don't want to be your judge today, but everyone in this room is guilty of lying, okay? Okay. It's what happens. Some of us are experts at it. Lying, simply saying something is true when it's false. But this word falsehood doesn't, does not just deal with the outright act of lying. It deals with any kind of falsehood that would come from our lives. Here's something that smacked me in the face as I was preparing for this message. Check out this quote. Lying... Includes more than simply direct falsehood. 
it also includes exaggeration. Adding falsehood to that which begins as true. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, that fish I caught was this big. You caught a fish. That was true. It was this big. But who's going to know? It was this big. That's that adding falsehood to the truth. It's a tough one. It happens all the time. It happens when we tell stories. I I remember my grandfather. I don't know if some of you guys had grandfathers that always tried to they, they embarked some great wisdom, but oftentimes it was in a little bit of a, a corny joke. But he would say, my grandfather, we would exaggerate, and he would say, you know what? I've told you 10,000 times never to exaggerate. Some of you will get that at lunch. But it happens when we tell stories. It happens in conversations. You ever been around the one-upper? Yeah, oh, I had a great weekend this week. Oh, really? You did? Well, listen to my weekend. And then their weekend's a little bit larger than yours, right? And maybe not all that true, but they've added a little bit. That's okay. There are different professions that deal with exaggerations. I think of a salesman, for example. You'd be huge exaggerators saying things that stretch the truth a little bit so they can make a sale. But to be completely transparent with you, I work in a profession where exaggeration is a temptation. Hey, pastor, how many people did you have last Sunday at your church? Well, we we had about 1,000. Real number was 503. I mean, it's closer to 1,000 than to zero, 503. Or another huge temptation for pastors is in the stories they tell when they're preaching. It's a big temptation for pastors to take a true story and to make it a little bit more interesting, right? And have you lean in a little bit and paint a bigger picture than maybe it really was, but just something to extra to get you to, to understand what he's talking about. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying any of that happens at Hope, all right? So you didn't hear it from me, Okay. None of that happens from hope. But whether we're telling an outright falsehood opposed to the truth or whether we are lying to make the truth bigger and better, it's all falsehood. In verse 25, Paul is saying to us to lay aside falsehood and to put on truth. Why? Because he says that telling lies brings division and dissension in our relationship with others. If you go back to verse 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth with each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He's saying to the church at Ephesus, if you're a Jesus follower, the lying has no place place among the conversations and relationships you have among the church. It creates disunity. It creates division. And it should not be a part of your relationships. It should not be a part of your relationship with God. It should not define you for who you are. You're to lay aside falsehood and take on and put on truth. Why do we put on that truth? We put on that truth Because God is truth. 
We need to be as Jesus followers, characterized as truth tellers because God is truth. In fact, the opposite of that, Jesus points out to to his disciples in John chapter 8. He tells his disciples, hey, guys, here's the thing. The enemy is a liar and he is the father of all liars. The opposite of God is the enemy and he's a liar and God is truth. And as Jesus followers, we should be truth tellers because our God is truth. Then he moves on to the second point, Ephesians chapter four, second example, verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Our second example of how we can live as Jesus followers is we lay aside sinful anger to walk in renewed anger. Here's the thing, guys. Verse 26 starts with a command that may surprise a lot of us. The command is to be angry. And the original language, the word angry is in the imperative, meaning it's a command. Be angry. Angry. I mean, what a strange thing for Paul to say there. What a strange thing for Paul to command Jesus followers to be angry. Now, he commands us to do this with one massively huge condition, right? Be angry, yet do not sin. Well, now we're really confused. I mean, how are you angry and not sin? I mean, what does that even look like? I mean, some of us thought as Jesus followers, we weren't ever supposed to be angry. We know Jesus was angry a few times as he walked on earth. In fact, the actual Greek word there for anger in verse 26 of Ephesians 4 is mentioned two times in Jesus' ministry. One of the times some of you may or may not be familiar with is when Jesus walked into the temple and, and all these people were cheating the temple goers out of their sacrifices and being dishonest with their scales. And, and Jesus uh, drove them out of the temple and said, my house should be called a house of prayer and not a den of thieves. And he drove them out. And so, so that, was, that was one example. And the, another example he does, that's very near and dear to my heart, is the next gen pastor. Jesus had, to set the scene, Jesus had just completed a long day of ministry. Lots of healings, um, lots of praying for people and performing miracles. And, and it was obvious that at the end of the day, Jesus was was pretty tired with all this. So the sun's beginning to set. His disciples discerned, hey, Jesus needs to rest. So Jesus is sitting down and resting. And some parents that are around the area see Jesus sitting there. And they desire to bring their children to Jesus. So Jesus would pray over them and bless them. We pick up in Mark 10, verse 13. And they, the parents, were bringing children to Jesus so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked the parents. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That's the word angry. He was angry and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these His disciples are pushing away these parents. Jesus is tired and Jesus gets angry. He didn't sin in his anger. He knew that 
He valued these children. He knew God valued these children and these children needed to come to Jesus and he wanted to pray over them. And so he told his disciples, stop it. Let these children come to me. This is the renewed anger we're talking about. It's an anger that revolves around God's love for others. An anger that is focused on what makes God angry. So we purposely said in this point, lay aside sinful anger to walk in renewed anger because we wanted to break down for you the difference between the two angers. All right, so let's look at sinful anger. Sinful anger always revolves around ourselves and causes us to respond out of our sin nature. It's self-focused. Sinful anger carries out revenge. We get angry when our expectations are not met by someone or something. And so we, if we get angry for that and someone doesn't meet our expectations, then we want to get right back at them and, and go against them. And our flesh wants to, to create this vengeance against them. Sinful anger causes you to, to lose your temper. Some of you feel it, right? You know what's going on. Your blood starts to boil at certain times. You're like, okay, here comes my temper. Here it comes. What do I do? I mean, if someone's wronged you with their actions and all of a sudden you're about to lose your temper, you can feel your face getting red, your ears getting red in the moment. Sinful anger blurts out disrespectful words at others. Somebody disrespects you with their words, you're like, oh, that's not going to happen. And you come right back at them. And your sinful nature desires to tear down, tear down, tear down, tear down. Sinful anger has uncontrollable feelings of rage. You know what I'm talking about? Someone cuts you off in traffic and you may pull around them and tell them they're number one. Sinful anger gets upset over normal, unavoidable events in life. Can you stop right here? And let me just tell you, this is my hardest one, all right? So, speaking of traffic, all right, here's where I am, guys. I was taught many years ago in driver's ed that the on-ramp onto an interstate is meant for you to accelerate to get to the speed of the traffic with which you are merging. So if I'm on, if I'm, get, if I'm turning left on Eastern or what I'm getting on Eastern, I get on the on-ramp and I'm getting on the 215, here's what I know that I feel like no one else knows. 215 is 65 miles an hour. I have no idea why we are trying to accelerate on the on-ramp and we don't get over 40. That does not do, my, I can feel myself just starting to boil up. Even now, I'm upset, right? Just <laughs> boiling up with this anger inside of me, that just going, what are we doing? We're turning our blinker on, like that's gonna help. And so, I just don't understand it. It always infuriates me and it gets on to me. And so, um, so we have a college student in our, in our college ministry. It doesn't really help. It's still sinful anger. Um, but one of the things he does, and I, I've, been a, I've been a believer way too long to tell someone they're number one. Um, but uh, I will definitely look at them. I will get on, get around them and go, what? Okay, I'll do that. All right. 
We have a college student that's adopted a new thing. He doesn't tell them they're number one. He just goes like this. Like, that is bad. You're a bad driver. Like, doing that was, that was bad. There's no thumbs up for you. That was a thumbs down, all right? Still sinful, but that's funny. Um, but here's the thing. I mean, what is it that makes it, right? That's our sin nature coming out. That is completely unavoidable. It's not like I can get in that person's car in front of me and say, hey, you need to speed up to 65 because everyone's going 65. I can't do that. It's unavoidable. But yet it rages up in me. And it's an anger, and that's a sinful anger that comes up in us. So that's sinful anger defined, okay? And all of us are like, oh, yeah, I get that. That's fine. All right, so so here's renewed anger. Okay, ready? Renewed anger always revolves around God and shares in God's righteous anger in opposition to sin. Renewed anger cares more about God's reputation than your own. Renewed anger is being angry at sin and the enemy. Renewed anger is being angry at the perversion of God's goodness. For example, sex created by God to be good, to procreate, and for people within a marriage to have enjoyment. Yet the world has come and they've perverted what God called good. We, that's, a, that's a renewed anger. We can, we can be mad. We can be angry at the things that pervert that. Renewed anger is being angry at things that vandalize what God deems valuable. God deems a child valuable. But an adult will, may come in and, and abuse that child. They are vandalizing that child and what God, and so we should be, we should have a renewed anger towards that child abuse. Renewed anger is being angry, directed though by love that is often patient and less swift action is necessary. We can be angry at addictions that seek to destroy our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, ourselves. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, gambling addiction, sexual addiction. Those are all things the enemy has brought in to destroy humanity. We can have a renewed anger at those things. We have ministries here at Hope Church that are driven by renewed anger. Our purchased ministry, because of renewed anger that we have as a church and that ministry has towards sex trafficking, we're doing what we can to be the hands and feet of Jesus to bring glory to God by stepping into these young ladies' lives and saying, hey, there's hope. There's a rescue that God can give you, and that's a renewed anger. Fostering hope because our renewed anger leads us to help children be in loving homes until they can properly be reunited with their families or be adopted by a loving family. These are, these are things that, that renewed anger, examples of that, that we can have and we can live in. But even renewed anger can lead to bitterness, resentment, And acting like you've got it all together if you let it 
linger. So Jeff, what do you mean by that? Well, Paul continues verses 26 and 27. A lot of it's like, oh, right, be angry and don't sin. Got it. But whether it's sinful anger or renewed anger, if you let anger linger, it is not a good thing. We see here the second part of verse 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Guys, anger is going to exist in all of our lives in an emotion. We can't let it dwell though. We can't let it dwell and take root in our hearts. Because then that's when, that's when it begins to seek to destroy us. Paul says, don't let the sun go down your, on your anger. Literally, don't go to bed with anger in your heart. Give it to God. Let him take care of it. We talked about sinful anger is trying to get vengeance. It's trying to get revenge. But what does God say? He says, vengeance is mine. God's want to take care of that. So whether it's sinful anger or renewed anger, whatever it is, we can be angry with something and we can go to God and say, God, I'm angry about this. I'm not going to go to bed with that on my heart. I'm casting it on you and I need you to take care of it. Now, God, if you want me to do anything about that, if I need to confess to a brother or sister because I was sinful, put that on my heart. If I need to in my renewed anger, be an advocate, be hands and feet, be your voice, do something about that. Get involved in a ministry that, that helps people in addiction or whatever the case. God, lead me to that. But God, I'll, I'm, I've got a renewed anger, but I'm casting it on you and asking you to help guide me into whatever you want me to respond to that. But if you hold on to it, in verse 27, he says, you are giving the devil a place. That place means an opportunity. It's an opportunity for him to use it to destroy you, your relationship with God, your relationships with others. Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. So we must lay aside that anger and not give the chance for the devil to use it to destroy us. But you may say, Jeff, what if I've already been destroyed by it? What if lying and falsehood has already destroyed me? What if it's caused a rift in my marriage what if it's caused distrust in my home or at my work? Or what about anger? What, what, if, what if anger has destroyed my relationship with God? I mean, Jeff, I, I lost a loved one and I got angry at God and I'm still angry at God over that. Or I believe God's just treated me in an unfair way. I mean, I've been dealt a real unfair deck when it comes to bad luck in life. And I've blamed God for that ever since. I mean, Jeff, how, how can I ever fix that? What do you guys know about 
my life. I've talked about it before up here. I won't go into detail, but when I was five years old, my little brother died. When I was eight years old, my parents never recovered from my brother, so they got divorced. And then when I was 12 years old, I played basketball. I was in a student ministry with a, with a boy, and he went to another school, rival schools, and so we played basketball against each other. And um, he was practicing at his school. And my parents got a phone call um, that day, and he collapsed and died on the basketball court. Um, and so um, a friend of ours in church, friend of mine, um, now all of a sudden I'm I lost my little brother at five. My parents got divorced when I was eight, and a friend of mine died when I was 12. And I, I, that was my seventh grade year. And I remember going into eighth grade. The summer going into eighth grade, um, we went to a summer camp. And I had that just heavy on my heart. Like, God, why me? Why, why have I been dealt this unfair lot of life? I mean, how, how much more bad luck can I have? And I remember the camp pastor at that time, his name was Dave Busby. Um, Dave was a man who was born with polio, crippled legs, um, and also born with cystic fibrosis. And so Dave passed. Um, he went on to be with Jesus in 1997. But, but Dave was speaking at this camp, and, um, and he shared this story. And as soon as he started sharing it, it just resonated with me. And I, I don't know, I'm going to share this story, and I, I don't know if it's going to resonate with you or not. And if it doesn't, just pray for the person that it does, maybe. But, um, but I, this story just really resonated with me. It was a story that happened a year before at camp, uh, at another camp. And, um, and Dave is sharing, and, and he's shared, shared this in his message. But, but this boy came up to him uh, the year before at camp and said, uh, Dave, I just want to let you know I'm angry at God. I hate God, actually. And Dave's like, well, okay, tell me about it. And he said, right the day before I left for camp, my parents told me they were getting a divorce. And when I get back from camp, my dad's going to be out of the house. And he said, I hate God for this. He said, so much so, I don't even want to say God's name. When we're singing songs, I don't sing a single word. I didn't even listen much to anything you said in your, in your message just now. I just wanted to come up to you and tell you how much I hate God, how angry I am at him. So Dave, just the Holy Spirit led him to this. He just told him, he said, here's what I want you to do. It was on a university campus. He said, I want you to go back to the dorm room that you're staying in here at camp. And I want you to go back to the bed at your camp. And I want you to take the mattress of the bed and I want you to put a mental picture in your head that the mattress of the bed is the chest of God. And then I want you to take out all of your anger and hatred towards God. Come back tomorrow and tell me how it went. He didn't know if the boy was gonna do it. Next day, the boy comes back. Comes up to Dave. He said, Dave, you remember me? He said, I remember you. He said, how'd it go? He said, I'll tell you how it went. He said, I went back to my dorm. I got on my knees on that bed and I just started punching and beating that mattress and crying out to God how much I hated God, how angry he made me and how, how unfair all of this was and how I hated divorce and how I hated my dad and my mom for doing this and putting me through this and I just kept beating. He said, Dave, for an hour, I was just wearing out that, ma that mattress, the chest of God, just wearing out. I was sweating. My clothes were drenched. I was dripping sweat. I got so exhausted and tired. I just rolled over and fell on that mattress, just breathing heavily, sweat everywhere. And he said, and then it hit me. 
God spoke to me in that moment and he said, you're laying on my chest. And in that moment, he's laying on God's chest and God took his arms and he said, wrapped his arms around me and began to tell me, you're chosen, you're adopted, you're loved, you're accepted, you're favored, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're my heir, you're sealed, you're gifted. God's big enough to take that. Some of us need to realize that today. Maybe for the very first time that God is big enough to take your anger, your falsehood, whatever you got to throw at him. And when you do that, when you throw it at him and when you exhaust yourself with confessing to him all of your frustration and anger and fear and anxiety and falsehood, he's right there to remind you he's big enough to take it and to let you know that you're loved, chosen, and adopted, accepted and favored and redeemed, forgiven and heir, sealed and gifted. Last night, I was doing some finishing touches on this message. God's always used songs to minister to me. And I was doing some finishing touches on this message. I'm being transparent with you guys. Um, God said, Jeff, I want you to sing this song at the end of your message over the people. And I said, no. (laughs) And he said, yes. And I said, no. As you guys know, he wins. And so this is a song that has really ministered to me over the years. And it's a song, um, it's from God. It's from God's perspective. And um, when I hear this song, I, I tend to close my eyes and put my hands out in front. That's the only posture I know to ask you to do uh, in this moment as I'm about to sing this over you. But just to receive it as his love for you. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I know this is kind of weird. Put your hands out in front if you want to. And receive this from from God. I love you. And I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. And I love you, and I will never leave you, because you are my child. You are my child. When you're down, when your heart is broken, When no one seems to care, please know that I love you, because you are my child. You are my child, and I want to wrap my arms around you, 
I want to wrap my arms around you and say everything, everything will be all right. Because you are my child. You are my child. So let me wipe those tears from your eyes. Let me wipe those tears from your eyes. Come to me. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Come to him. God, we thank you for the truth that you sing that song over us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And when our heart is broken, when no one else seems to care, you're here. So God, would you minister to us? Even in this moment of response, minister to us now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen two ways to respond today. First way is this. Maybe today you're just like, hey, Jeff, I had no idea God loved anyone that much, especially me. And maybe today you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. You've never admitted your brokenness. You've never said, I believe Jesus paid the penalty for my sin and died and rose again so that I could have life today and life eternal. And you've definitely never made anyone else the boss of your life. And maybe today you've said, you know what? I've come to the end of me being the boss of my life. It's not working. I'm broken. Maybe today you'd say, Jesus, I admit I am broken. I am sinful and I need you. And so I believe you love me so much. You sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin and you rose again three days later, forever defeating the power of sin over my life, forever defeating death so I can live eternally with you. And so God, I don't want to be the boss of my life anymore. I want you to be the boss of my life. Maybe that's you today. For the very first time, you need to say that. We've got some pastors up here who would love to pray with you, love to talk with you about that. And help you just go simply into a relationship with God, just like we said. So maybe today you say, hey, that's me. You need to come forward. You need to say, hey, I'm the first person. <laughs> first, first person Jesus that Jeff just talked about. I need Jesus. Say that to one of us. We'd love to pray with you and connect you to a family of believers that want to walk with you, want to share with you, will be joyous with you, and want to show you and talk with you about how all the struggles they've had and how God's been faithful to them. I mean, they would, a, we got a room full of people that love to do that. I would say for the vast majority of us in this room, though, you've, you've had a time like that. You've made Jesus the boss of your life. You've confessed him as your Lord and you are walking in him. So really for you, it's just that understanding of laying aside, you know, What's crazy, when we lay aside falsehood, when we lay aside our old self, when we lay aside anger, 
Can I just tell you this? You're not laying it on a chair. You're laying it aside at the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can take that. He's the only one that can help you do that. He's the only one that can walk with you as you do that on a daily basis, laying aside these things. You're not just laying them aside on your own power. You're laying them aside at the feet of Jesus saying, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this, but you take it and let's go together, you and I, and let's figure this out in our relationship. Because if you're just laying aside on the ground, that's in your own power. And in our own power, we can't do it. But we lay those things aside at the feet of Jesus and we cast those on his feet and at his presence. Then we have all of him giving us the strength, wisdom, discernment, ability to be able to do that. And so maybe today there's some things the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind that you need to cast aside. And I don't know how you want to do that today. Maybe you want to do that right there in your seat. Maybe you want to do that and sharing that with your spouse or sharing that with a neighbor or someone you're trying to grow in your relationship with Christ with. Maybe you need to do that today. One of the, my favorite things to do is I love to take these steps. And when, when I'm sitting in, in Vance's preaching or anybody, that sometimes I'll take these steps and picture Jesus sit, sitting right here at the top of the steps. I've done this so many times where I've taken things I'm struggling with and I've placed them on the steps like this. I remember I was at a church in Austin, Texas in 1995. God said, you need to leave this thing that I was dealing with. I need to leave that on the steps. And I left that on the steps of that church in Austin, Texas. And for all I know, it's still there. But Jesus took it, and I never went back to it. I turned away and walked away from it. I laid it right there on the steps. That helps me. That didn't help everybody. I get it. God's uniquely made you, uniquely made me. But whatever it is, maybe you need to lay it on the steps, thinking that that's, you're laying it right there at the feet of Jesus. I don't know. Or maybe you need to come pray with one of these pastors and Maybe there's some health stuff. Maybe there's some family problems. Maybe there's things that we didn't even address today that the Holy Spirit's communicating to you that you need to lay aside. Maybe there's addictions that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus or you need prayer for. I don't know. And here's what I do know. He knows. Because that's how personal God is to each and every person in the room. So all I want to do when I pray here in a minute is I just want to pray for boldness and obedience. It takes a lot of courage sometimes to come to steps like this in front of all these people or go to one of these pastors in front of all these people. Or it takes a lot of courage to talk to your spouse right here about something or to talk to your neighbor or to leave here and make a phone call or whatever it is. I don't know. God's a creative God. He tells us to do crazy things. I don't know what it is, but my prayer today is that you would come and be obedient to him. Holy Spirit, would you lead us today?
Holy Spirit, we thank you for those already responding. We thank you for who you are and what you do. You're powerful, you are amazing, and you are God. Holy Spirit, would you minister today to us? Would you convict us? If we need to move, then move us. Give us the boldness and courage to respond out of obedience. If we need to stay in our seats and pray for others, then we'll stay in our seats. If we need to talk to somebody, we'll talk to somebody. But God, you do what you do. Holy Spirit, would we be obedient to you in this moment? We pray these things in Jesus' name.